Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get started on this week's episode, I want to give you a trigger warning. We are discussing suicide in small parts of the episode and childhood trauma and childhood abuse. So if these topics disturb you, trigger you in any way, please don't listen. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Mental Moms podcast. I'm Kat, and I'm here with Rhiannon. We're so happy you're tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, Rhiannon's going to go ahead and cover what we're going to be discussing today. And thank you for tuning in. All right, y'all. So at the end of last episode, Kat did like a little monologue about loving yourself and, you know, putting yourself first when it comes to dating and stuff. And it kind of got me thinking about a book that I read earlier this year called um, Welcome Home by Najwa Zabian, I think is how you say her name. And she talks, to, it's a book about like, she talks about attachment styles, but in the book she really wants to, she focuses on like building a home in yourself instead of building a home in other people. Um, she talks about like how whenever you, you build a home in other people and then they can just pick it up and leave you whenever you want. Versus whenever you go to home and yourself, you can, you're at home with yourself and not going to be up and left in the dust by when you build a home with someone else. And then she also, like in the book, she also talks about like going into different rooms of forgiveness. But she talks about forgiving yourself and uh, loving yourself and just everything about that. And so then she goes into the attachment styles and I started thinking about the book called Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. And she talks about attachment styles and the anxious, avoidant, secure. And then there's, there's an anxious, avoidant attachment style or disorganized. And they talk about how like the childhood molds us have certain types of attachment styles. Yes, so we, we kind of just wanted to cover the few different um, attachment styles, and then we'll get into ours. So they're, you know, in the field of mental health. There's sometimes, you know, different names for different things, but from what we could find on this article, the article that I found this information from is on psychcentral.com. And I have other books that discuss attachment styles. So, you know, you may find that there are different names for them, but ultimately the descriptions of them are pretty much the same. You know, me, Rhiannon talked a little bit, you know, off off camera about about them and our, you know, what am I, what the word is the word I'm looking for? Our experience with them and, you know, what we've learned about them. So the first one, I'm not going to really get too much into because it's the healthiest one and we don't want to talk about it <laughs> and it's secure. That's the first one. Neither of us have that attachment style, so we don't want to talk about that one too much, but I'm going to give you a brief description. So it is securely attached people growing up feeling secure, 
emotionally and physically, and they can pretty much engage in the world with others in a very healthy way. Okay, whenever I read my book on attachment styles, they kind of mentioned like they're okay with anxious people because they're they have no problem reassuring their partner and they have no problem being with an avoidant person because they don't think anything negative about that person being avoided oh that person needs space okay you can have space Uh, versus within the anxious person they'd be worried about it I definitely yeah I now that you said that I know that for a fact because the person I'm with he's very secure he doesn't get anxious he's very calm doesn't really have any like tendencies of avoiding or being anxious about any aspect of a relationship. So I think if you're a very anxious or avoidant person, it's not going to work if you're with another person like that. So just that was just a side note. The second attachment style I wanted to talk about is avoidant. Avoidant or dismissive avoidant or anxious avoidant are all words for the same insecure attachment style, according to psychcentral.com. It's basically defined by failures to build long-term relationships with others due to an inability to engage in physical and emotional intimacy. Um, A brief description of how it develops. Um, In your childhood, you may have had strict or emotionally distant and absent caregivers. They may have left you to fend for yourself, expected you to be independent, reprimanded you for depending on them, rejected you when expressing your needs or emotions, or been slow to respond to your basic needs. You may have an anxious avoidant style if you persistently avoid emotional or physical intimacy, you feel a strong sense of independence, are uncomfortable expressing your feelings, you're pretty much dismissive of others, you have a hard time trusting people, you're threatened by people who wanna get close with you, you spend more time alone than you do interacting with others, you believe you don't need others and you have commitment issues. So that is your avoidant or avoidant anxious. It's pretty much the same thing. Um, the next one I wanted to talk about was anxious attachment. And this is pretty much described as fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, depending on a part- partner for validation and emotional regulation. Um, you have codependent tendencies, um, It says your parents may have pretty much alternated between overly coddling you and then becoming detached or indifferent. Um, They maybe were super easily overwhelmed. Sometimes they were attentive and then sometimes they push you away. They made you responsible for how they felt. And sometimes these children would grow up or you would grow up thinking that you were supposed to take care of other people's feelings and often become codependent. These are a sign that you'd have if you have an anxious attachment. You have clingy tendencies. You're highly sensitive to criticism, real or perceived criticism. You need approval from others, jealous tendencies, difficulty being alone, low self-esteem, feeling unworthy of love, intense fear of rejection, significant fear of abandonment, difficulty trusting others. If you have an anxious attachment style, you probably feel unworthy of love and need constant reassurance from your partners. Um, You'd probably often blame yourself for challenges in in that relationship 
and probably have like a lot of jealousy and distrust just due to your own poor self-esteem. Ultimately, they put, you have a deep-rooted fear of being abandoned, rejected, or alone. And those fears typically express themselves in these ways. That's a lot, but I feel like, I don't know, for me, it's not, these attachment styles are not easily explained via just one sentence. I feel like it's more easily understood when you can hear, you know, how it may have developed in your childhood and then kind of like the signs of it. So so you can easily put yourself like in that in that space to say, is that me or is that not me? So the the last one that I wanted to cover really quickly is disorganized attachment style. And I know in other other people, other you know, doctors and things like that, they name it something differently. But basically how I perceive it is anxious and avoidant together. But I'm going to give you the description that I got off of psychcentral.com. And it is anxious disorganized attachment is defined as having extremely inconsistent behavior and difficulty trusting others. So you're very inconsistent on how you're feeling, basically. This develops most commonly from childhood trauma, neglect, or abuse. Fear of their parents, their sense of safety as far as their parents go is most likely present in these people's people's childhood and that's kind of how that develops there. Um, children with this attachment style may seem confused. Um, their caregivers are inconsistent and are often seen as sources of comfort and fear um, by their children, which leads to their disorganized behavior. So basically, as a kid, you know, you you like are confused, like whether or not you trust your parent, you know, for safety, and then you don't. Like you're f- afraid of them, but you also no, you're supposed to look to them as safety. So it's very confusing. So your signs of a disorganized attachment style include fear of rejection, inability to regulate regulate your emotions, contradictory behaviors, high levels of anxiety, difficulty trusting others, and signs of both avoidant and anxious attachment styles. So that's kind of both of the attachment styles we discussed In one, um, they also did mention that this type is also associated with mental health conditions in adulthood, including mood disorders, personality disorders, self-harm, and substance use disorder. So if you struggle with mood disorders, personality disorders, self-harm, and substance abuse, you know, they say that you might be a little bit more prone to the disorganized attachment style versus just one or the other of the other two. They went briefly over how it manifests in relationships. And they said individuals with these attachment styles tend to have unpredictable and confusing behavior. They alternate between being aloof and independent and being clingy and emotional. While they desperately seek love, they also push their partners away because of the fear of love. They believe that they'll always be rejected, but they don't avoid emotional intimacy. They fear it. And they also consistently seek it out only to reject it again. And so real quick, and the last last point of this is the people in relationships with people with this type of style, they perceive their partners as unpredictable very much like their partner will ultimately become fearful because they're like well I don't know like what's today gonna look like with them 
Are they going to be okay with accepting my love or are they not? So that's our four attachment styles we're talking about today. And we did want to get into our own personal attachment styles. But if you want to learn more about those attachment styles, um, Google is your BFF, but Psych Central has a lot of information if you want to check that out. And also the book Rhiannon mentioned Attached. All right. So you can check out Attached, Psych Central, and then also Welcome Home by uh, Nazra Zebian. That's also a really good resource if you have that anxious attachment or anxious avoidant type of or disorganized attachment. We can list the books where Rhiannon found them in the bio below in the in the area where you read stuff we'll try to put that in there we will put the books in the description so did you want to talk about your book the book that you had okay so I don't really want to name the book because it's something personal to me but I will read um because it's, it's about my personal diagnosis um but I will read you know with the specific diagnosis the attachment styles that are more commonly known with it. It's a mood disorder. So pretty much it'd probably go along with any mood disorder you'd have. But the attachment styles, they identify. So so the first one is secure. And they describe secure as high self-worth, believes others are approachable and caring, comfortable with autonomy and with forming close relationships. The second, they named preoccupied, and they describe it as self-worth is based on gaining the approval and acceptance of others. Relationships, relationships are intense to the point of relying on individuals too much, and anxiety is only reduced with a significant other. So you're less anxious when you have a partner. Dismissing is the third attachment style they named. And this is described as positive view of self, desires independence and appears to avoid connections with others altogether, denies the need for close relationships and will say relationships are unimportant, very, very much so like avoidant, um, but they name it dismissing. And the last one is called fearful. And they describe it as sees self in a negative way, doesn't trust others, afraid to be in close relationships, but feels the need, experiences discomfort with close relationships, and sees self as unworthy of responsiveness from a significant other. Very much so anxious. Um, so I think the fearful is probably more of like the anxious attachment style. Dismissing is probably more so avoidant preoccupied is a little bit of both but more so like your entire identity and well-being lies on being with someone you know what I mean and putting that power within someone else that's kind of how I interpret it I will tell you guys the psychiatrist who did this book is Daniel J Fox PhD so if you want to look him up you might find this book I'll give you that give you that much so Rhiannon let's get into your attachment styles I'm curious to learn about yours and 
after hearing all of these attachment styles and all of this information that I read, what do you relate to? All right. So I kind of relate to like the anxious avoidant or like that disorganized attachment style because I really do bounce back and forth between being like really like intense involved with someone where I'm like obsessed with them and then the after I get ghosted right from being too much I will like go back into the dating pool and that next time I'm really like detached from people or like I'm kind of pushing them away where I'm like oh you don't want me I really don't know what I want I don't want a relationship and I push people away when they're usually the next batch of people are like really good not toxic people and they're the ones that are like I'm like eh you know and it really sucks because they're good people and they always chase the toxic people but I'm obsessed first and then the next round I'm just completely detached and like good luck getting any straightforward answer from me because I don't know I don't know what to do I don't know how to feel so I definitely relate to the disorganized or that like anxious avoidant attachment style because I do push people away and also I do chase people so it really just depends I guess it kind of sounds like it really depends on the person and kind of where you're you're at mentally depending on the the type of person they are and how they treat you is it really that's kind of what's gonna like I mean you're always gonna have those but I think it it does it does determine what kind of person they are I've noticed I kind of get, like, um, overwhelmed with, like, people that are, like, too nice, I guess. Like, I'm like, whoa, like, hold on. <laughs> like, that's a lot to take in because I feel like maybe, like, I don't deserve it. And, like, my internal thoughts, is, like, I don't deserve that. So, like, you're being too nice and that's scary to me. So then I, like, push them away even harder because I'm like, hold on. Like, that's too much. I don't know. I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to respond to that half the time. So almost like in your head of thinking like, I don't deserve this. Yeah, that's that. That is a part of that. A hundred percent. You have that waste in your head. Like, you want that, but then as soon as you get it, you reject it because you don't think you're worthy of it. You're not thinking that subconscious. Consciously, you're not saying to yourself, "I don't deserve this." But your subconscious is and that's kind of a part of why you're rejecting it because you're like I don't deserve this and eventually they're going to realize I don't deserve this and then they're going to reject me anyways so this is too nice this is too much and even though it's nice now I'm expecting you to disappoint me so I'm not even going to enjoy this or like participate in this it's almost like that too good to be true you know like okay cat what about you how did you relate to all the like all the attachment styles? Where do you think you fall? Um, I hate to sound like I'm like copying you, but we did talk about this before. I'm like very much so both avoidant and anxious. Um, but I feel like now in my life, in my current relationship, I th- I think I'm. St- I don't want to say because I'm in healthier healthier relationship that it's kind of like leveled out because I can very much so catch myself on a day like being very like avoiding like the intimacy avoiding like you know when he's complimenting me and like "Mm," like you're just like saying it because you're with me like like I see it come in you know what I mean 
but I think overall in my relationship history, I've been disorganized. I have very much so found my value in myself based on the relationships that was in. I felt like I could not be alone. I literally jumped from one relationship to another back and back to back to back. And I think that's kind of why I ended up in a toxic relationship because I was just like the the first person, the closest to me was like the person I jumped into the next relationship with. And it was literally because I was finding my self-worth in somebody else. And then I became, you know, I feel like I, I jumped into a relationship with an avoidant person. So that kind of turned me more anxious and like very obsessive like very like clingy like codependent like feeling like if I was away from this person they would they would cheat on me or they would do this you know what I mean so it was very much like I've dealt with both so I don't think I could be categories in one or the other because I've definitely experienced both aspects of that in all the relationships I've been in um yeah I it's for me personally I want to say that the anxious attachment style I feel like is the worst because it's like it takes you it takes over you like you're you're like you almost how do I explain it you almost like don't even have control over like how you're feeling like you're literally your feelings are dependent on how that person is acting that day and it's the saddest thing like I've ever been through yeah, I've noticed that, like, whenever I, like, that person is, like, avoidant, then my mood changes, and, like, I'm, like, I get more irritable, I get more on edge, I get more, like, sad, and it's just overall, like, so much feelings and stuff that go into it, and the moment that they give me attention, I'm happy again, like, almost instantly, and it's so, so annoying to have your moods be, like, attached to someone else that, either doesn't know that this is happening or straight up doesn't care and it's the worst feeling and it's honestly kind of dangerous I mentioned this in the last episode when I felt like I wanted to like literally die over someone that had broken up with me after I'd only known them for a week um and they had no they had no care in the world for me you know like I'd only known them for a week that that was the end of it but, like, it can be dangerous for people that have this attachment style because they could legitimately feel like they want to die. And people need to be more aware of, like, ghosting and be more aware of, like, using their words to communicate with people because it is dangerous to people that deal with this attachment style. Because, like Kat said, it's often associated with mood disorders and personality disorders, and it's just dangerous. So be better, people, please. A hundred percent. I agree. And I think that I I think probably most of I mean what we're we're gonna be discussing in this podcast might be navigated towards mothers. But if there's any males out there, I mean this applies to women too. If you're not feeling it anymore, just be honest. You know what I mean? Because you just never know what's going through someone's mind. So yeah. PSA to all the men out there. But this does apply to women as well. You never know what someone could be struggling with. 
you know, just because you maybe met somebody and it was only a day or it was only a week or a month, whatever time it is, you never know what they struggle with. So just give someone the courtesy if you no longer want to be in communication with them or you no longer want to continue whatever it is you guys got going on. Just be honest with them. It doesn't take that much time out of your day to just say, I'm so sorry. I just, I'm not feeling it. You know what I mean? It's going to take five minutes out of your day versus literally cut, like basically cutting contact off with somebody. And if they're anxious and they have an, an anxious attachment style, you do not know what's going to go through their mind. They're going to be worried about that. Are you dead? Are you okay? And then they're, gonna go to terrible person I deserve this I want to die the list could go on everyone is different everybody handles anxious attachment styles differently but it could go as severe as someone wanting to kill themselves um and and you know in not on as severe level as that but literally like what you do affects their every emotion and it pretty much controls them and someone who has been on that anxious end I can tell you it's the worst feeling in the world not having control over my emotions because it's or how my partner decided to treat me that day or talk to me that day or or avoid me that day my entire day was determined by that and that was nothing in my control I didn't I didn't wake up saying, I'm going to let this person control how I feel. It's literally something that's not in my control or anyone's control. And I just think that no matter who you are and what you got going on, please, please, please be more aware of how you treat people. No matter if you no longer want to be with them or be around them, treat them with respect and be honest. Because I think that someone with an anxious attachment style, yes, they're still going to be sad that you broke up with them, but they're not going to be left with questions and wondering, do you know, it might help a little bit more, like just knowing, you know, like having the concrete, like words, like coming out of your mouth saying, I no longer want to because of X, Y, Z. And their minds aren't left to like wonder and, and just come up with these, you know, insane reasons. It's possible y'all. It's a struggle out here. So we both come to the conclusion. We both have a disorganized attachment style. We're very much so avoidant and anxious, which I think a lot of people are. Um, I did want to ask you real quick. I kind of talked about, you know, my relationships and the type of people that I've been in relationships with. If you think back to like any of your like, you know, notable, memorable relationships, what do you think their attachment styles were? Hmm. That's interesting, honestly. Um, I mean, the last serious relationship I was in was with my uh, kid's dad, and I feel like, honestly, we were, he was probably anxious, too, honestly, because he used to, like, always, he wanted to text me all day, every single day, like, if I didn't reply to him, he would, like, get mad at me for not replying to him, um, just, like, little stuff like that, his anger definitely, like, received like that, and in the thick of it, we were both very like attached to each other towards the end I definitely started like pushing him away where I would like start fights because I didn't want to be with him and then I you know just do stuff um but 
I think any other relationship, honestly, it's just I'm the anxious one. And everyone else has been like, where the heck is this coming from? You know, they don't understand. But um, I think they were all like really shocked, if anything, that I was so insecure, I guess. But everyone seemed fine. I can only think about my own behavior, honestly, which is, which was not good. It was not good. I wanted to ask you something just like popped in my head. Do you ever start off your relationships kind of like kind of putting on a front? Like, do you ever just like appear to people like you're totally normal? And then once you're like in the thick of it, not even on purpose, like you want to continue that, like, I'm healthy, I'm good. And then just they do something like inconsistent. And that anxious shit comes out real quick. And they're like, whoa, 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 what the, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> I have a story about this. So last year I dated a guy and really like great. We were talking, we were vibing, everything was good. Um, and then he got into a really bad car crash, really bad. And he didn't talk to me for days, but it wasn't. And like, I knew like, okay, he's not ghosting me. Like in my head, I was like, I know he's like ghosting me something happened. I swapped his Facebook, found a friend of his, and I sent a message to this friend. I'm like, hey, I'm talking to this guy. I know for a fact he didn't ghost me, but something seems off. Do you know anything? He told me, yes, he got into a really bad car crash. He's in the hospital. And like, it was a really bad thing. Anyways, so like, but we were, after he got out of the hospital, we were talking every day, snap, every, you know, everything. And everything was going good everything was fine and then uh something went something didn't feel right about like because I found his Facebook but he didn't know I had found his Facebook so I decided to continue to watch his Facebook after he got out of the hospital and I noticed that he was online and I was like kind of like okay why hasn't he added me to Facebook? like why hasn't he invited me to add him on Facebook right and that is my like snapping point where we're like I lost my shit, and he was so thrown back. He was like, what the hell is going on? And he definitely, like, and he didn't make it any better because he started saying that someone had hacked into his Facebook, and it wasn't him. And it was just, like, I knew it was a lie. Obviously, I'm not that stupid. But, like, he made it sound, like, he just made it so much worse. So after that, everything just went downhill very quickly because my front of being normal was so like shot by then it was it was gone there's no coming back from that you know not for me like being you know, like hey i know you're on facebook and he's like what the hell <laughs> yeah so yeah, i definitely put on the front and i do it a lot i do it a lot i definitely want to pretend i'm healthy and i'm i'm not at all and my mom my mom has said that too my mom has also called me out but like you always pretend like you're healthy and even like not even with just romantic partners but like with friends with my doctors like with um my mom has said that like when she'll hear me on the phone talking to my doctors and I'll be like oh yeah everything's fine you know yada yada like I have a few bad days but you know that's it but then like my mom will be like looking at me in the back like what? You're so not fine. Like, you're, like, off the chart crazy right now. 
I just pretend to be healthy and I don't know why. I wish I knew why, but I, I don't know the reason. I, I can't tell you why, but I can tell you it is definitely a part of this mental illness that we struggle with. Um, and I, I, I relate to it a hundred percent, not just in relationships, um, because a relationship I was in, I started off like, I'm normal. I'm good. Like, I'm everything you'd want me to be, of course. And then one inconsistency comes and I'm like, bitch, where the fuck were you at at 3.33? And I messaged you at this time and I didn't get a response. Where were you at? Okay. Why are you with your friends? I'm right there with you. But as well as like, because I work, you know, in a very professional setting and, you know, I'm kind of like, I have the office voice, if so to speak. But I, I like to say I have the office personality as well. And it's very easy for me to turn it on and turn it off. Um, uh, some days it's not, though, um, because, you know, the point where it's like you're too far gone to really fake it at any point, And that's when you start to stop talking to people. And that's when you really start to, like, let go of your responsibilities or you call off of work that day because we all get to the point. Well, people with mental mental illness get to the point where it's like too hard to fake it but I definitely much so have that fake Karen voice you know but I have that Karen personality I can really switch it on and off depending on who I'm around and who I want to think I'm normal um and I'm so insecure about feeling normal that I avoid most social settings because I'm thinking to myself you're not going to fool them. They're going to see right through you. I was also thinking about like our friendship whenever I first got my diagnosis for, I remember that I was thinking about my friendships in the past and how like all of my friendships were always so wildly different, you know, from each other, like me and your friendship, like that was, I cannot be that person again, unless I was with you, you know, and I cannot be the same friend to you. Like if I had all of my friends in the same room, <laughs> I don't even know who, I, who who do I mask? Who do I copy? Because I don't know how to. And there was this one time when I went with uh, my ex to a friend's house and I, I started picking up her freaking accent and her way, her mannerisms and everything. And my ex called me out on it. And I was like, oh, I, I had no idea I was doing that. But it was so embarrassing. And I, I do this so often. It's not even just like pretending to be normal, but it's like totally picking up other people's personalities and making it my own. Yeah, like it's so insecure with your own personality and who you are that, yeah, I can understand. I can, I can see that, how you just, you don't want to reveal yourself and who you are and the things that you struggle with. So it's literally easier to start copying homegirl's accent over here <laughs> and the way she's acting because- Anything is better than showing who you truly are. And honestly, that's why I really don't have friends. That's why I really don't end up in social settings um, most of the time. And then when I am in social settings, I'm hyper, hyper fucking paranoid and fucking overstimulated because I'm like, I can't keep this up anymore. I need to get out of here. So I let myself go. You know, it's like, it's like oh, unbuttoning your tight ass jeans when you get home or after you eat a big meal. That's how I feel. Okay, so now that we've talked about our um, attachment styles, now we want to talk about how our childhood may have caused us to have the disorganized attachment style. 
So Kat, do you want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to start off by reading a little quote because I'm your quote queen here. Also from psychcentral.com. I was reading a whole bunch of stuff on their website. Um, And this was pertaining to how our parents and our childhoods really shaped our attachment styles and how they kind of carry on into our romantic relationships. Um, So it says, we unconsciously expect our romantic partners to act as our parents did. And therefore we act in certain ways due to these expectations. And that pretty much sums it up. Like our relationship with our parents pretty much is what determines what our attachment styles are going to be because that's the very first attachment we have in our life. You know, from the moment we come out of our womb, we learn how we're going to get the attention of our mothers and our fathers. So that kind of, you know, it kind of shapes it. And I will say I didn't have a great childhood. My mother was always very preoccupied with chasing the next guy and being pretty crazy so I never felt like like I had attention or that I was important um or that I mattered because it was always another guy and it was always like a fight for attention and it was always like like when is it gonna end and the only time I got attention was when I was going off the rails like angry and like kind of like being a little bit disrespectful because I was so tired of like my mother's bad decisions. So when I did get attention, it was very negative attention. So I just never, I never got positive attention. And I don't know, it's just, it was very unhealthy. I never had a good example of like a healthy relationship as far as like watching my mom, like my, you know, my mom and my father, you know, as far as I can remember, they were never together. I think they separated when I was like two or three. I never, I've never seen him or met him in my life after that. So she was relationship to relationship to relationship. And it was like, she she never had money. Let, let me be clear about this. But any money she did have, that was the only reason any man was staying around. For all you ladies out there with kids, you know, tax time. You're, you've got a lot of money coming in. And that was the most, that was the most amount of time a man would stick around with my mother was for her tax, you know, money. And that was a whole nother issue is like not getting positive attention from my mom. You know, she struggled with mental health issues and it was just like a, a constant, <laughs> constant cycle of negativity from how she, you know, parented me. And the lack of parenting there was. And then as I got older, I watched her negative relationships, her relationships, abuse, using her for money, using her for sex, whatever it may be. It was never for love and it was never, never, ever healthy, you know, allowing her boy, some of her boyfriends to hit us, you know, and try to discipline us. And then they were only around for like two months. Um, so yeah, that, uh, it's a little bit of a ramble, but I just kind of wanted to summarize a little bit. You want to tell us about your, you know, how your, your relationship with your parents kind of, I don't know, shaped your attachment style 
and what that dynamic was. Okay, so for me, I think my both of my parents are so wildly different. My mom was the strict disciplinary type of person, and she, she I knew that she loved us, and I knew that she did her best. I think she, I think she tried her best. Um, my dad, on the other hand, was very dismissive of everything that I did. Uh, he let me do literally whatever I want. Um, if he would literally drop me off at guys' houses sometimes and pick me up from guys' houses with my hair looking like like I just did something, you know. And I was a teenager, and thinking back, that's like so embarrassing. Benji. What else? Yeah. Oh, she's right. So, um, I also don't think I ever felt like really safe with my parents. Um, my mom would often like, I say she would snap, and the, I don't want to say that she snapped and that she didn't have a reason to snap because she definitely did have reasons to snap because I, I, I was not the best kid. I'm like, I'll say you and be like, I'm so perfect because I'm not. But she would snap, and the, these fights that we would have would last weeks at a time. And I often, I kind of never knew what the last draw was going to be, you know? Like, and like I said, she has every reason to be upset with me. But I didn't know, like, it could be, like, I didn't do the dishes that day. And the next time, it could be because I didn't take the trash out, right? You know, like, little things. But it was really the core to, like, a much bigger problem that was happening. Which, again, like, it's not her fault. She had the right to be mad. It was just how sudden I, I perceived it to be um and then I never felt safe with my dad because like I said he would drop me off at these guys houses whenever it came to boyfriends and stuff he never really like had that like you don't mess with my daughter kind of like thing you know that like very fatherly protective kind of thing and I love my dad to death he's the best dad ever but that definitely did affect me I was also bullied by a lot of my family and again my dad never really like put his foot down and was like hey, you can't talk to my daughter like that. Like, I don't care if you're my nephew or whatever. Like, that's my daughter and you need to respect her. Point blank, you know? So I think a lot of that, like, had, like, me just overall feeling unsafe. And I did love my, my family because, like, a lot of these problems were, like, underlying problems, like, kind of hidden where you wouldn't have been able to tell anything because my mom was also a toddler. You know, like, if I was bullied at school, she was the one kicking the tires of someone's car. If I, you know, she was always there for me. She was very supportive and did, you know, support me. So it's, again, like, I, I trusted her to tell her things. And then there was just times where I was like, holy shit, what's happening? You know, and then we're, and then same thing with my dad. It's like, I trusted him because he wasn't an angry person. He wasn't a mean person. But he also didn't keep me safe. So I think that's where a lot of my issues come from is that like and it is so subtle too like it wasn't it didn't have, it doesn't have to be like a dramatic big thing like these are little things that happen you know my parents did the best that they could literally and I still ended up like this <laughs> so there you go thank you for saying that because um I feel like people expect these big dramatic stories of like I was neglected I was like abused and although those things are very horrible and they do cause these mental illnesses 
you can still have normal people doing the best that they can do. And although they're trying to do the best, they can make the wrong decisions or try to be too much of a friend to their child versus a parent. You know what I mean? I feel like hearing your story and like being around you and your dad, I feel like your dad just wanted to make you happy and kind of, he was kind of like a, a friend more than he was a little and correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously this is not my relationship and that's y'all's relationship. But I just, from an outsider, it seems like he just wanted to do whatever would make you happy. And he didn't always make the best decisions. You know, he should not have allowed his teenage daughter to go in these boys' houses. And we know what happened. We know what would go on. And he know what would go on. And he shouldn't have allowed that. But I felt like, I feel like maybe that's just, the only way he knew how to to make you happy and be a good dad and this is no this is no stab in the back to our parents when we talk about these things I want to make that clear because I don't know if any of our parents will end up listening to this so I do want to very much so say like I know maybe you I know your parents are very supportive I don't think my mom would ever hear this but touch on this as well but this is not a stab in their back and trying to like pin like point things out or blame people because we all do the best that we can do and I think when I became a mother is when I understood like you're effing human like just because you're a parent doesn't mean you know everything and you literally do what you can and you pray to God you're making the right decisions and you don't you know mess your child up but at the end of the day like we're fucking human and the odds are the odds are probably way higher that you're gonna fucking cause your child something to be wrong with them versus not because this world is like so hard and I I just I want to say that no one take offense to anything we're saying we're just speaking on our experiences and we know that you did the best that you could do but we have to talk about these topics because at the end of the day, if we talk about them more, we can t- speak to future parents and speak to ourselves and teach ourselves like we know what, you know, we, we were learning about what caused these things to be wrong with us. So maybe we can make a difference and we can be more aware for our children. So maybe we can save some of the hurt and the pain that we had to endure, whether it was purposely or not purposely. It was still pain and it still caused us to be a little effed up in the head, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So sorry, mom. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is not a backstop or anything. I love her to death and she's a great support for me. And, um, but, and like I said, they, they both did the best that they could and what they thought was the best for me. And it's just, like I said, anything can happen. Any, any, anything and I definitely know that like some things that I've done are definitely have already affected my son because I've already been snappy with him before and where he can trust whether or not he can trust me is dependent on my mood because sometimes like he'll cry and I give him a hug and sometimes he cries and I'm like why are you crying and I and I snap so I can already kind of foresee my son having some issues and I know it's my fault and I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> um, okay. Now, do you want to talk about the relationships that maybe our moms had that may have like that we watched 
happen in front of us and then maybe like how those may have affected us you know like watching these toxic relationships and then maybe even like modeling our relationships after those because that's all we knew it's the only relationships we knew I never saw my dad and my mom together so so real quick before I touch on that when did your parents separate mine I was like two probably I'm trying to like go on two so like I they were together but I don't remember that like I have no memory of them being together okay oh I that was just like a personal like I, I never asked you that before I don't know why I just wanted to know that so my mother and my father separated when I think between two and three years old I really don't remember like the stories I get from my mom sometimes are a little bit different than the stories I get from my father's family because I don't speak to my biological father. Um, but I do know that he was very abusive to her, like physically abusive, emotionally very, like very abusive. Um, abuse runs very deep in both of my families. So a lot of trauma there. And so I watched my mom really put all of her self-worth in relationships and she didn't want to be alone you know if she wasn't in a relationship she was chasing a relationship you know she would constantly choose men over her children whether it was like not being able to buy us things she'd spend every dollar she could to give it to another person and very abusive she would she would be abused she'd be used um she'd allow men to hit us she um I think when I was I think it was sixth grade um she left me and my sister in Texas for a year with a very abusive aunt and she stayed in Virginia with a very abusive boyfriend of hers we didn't hear from her for a whole year she she took us there left us said she'd be back in a month to like get everything in order to move all of our stuff and we didn't hear from her for a whole year and a year later, you know, we get this like dramatic phone call, her crying. And she'd said, I've been kidnapped. I've been chained up for months by this crazy man, blah, 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 blah. You know, I would never abandon you. Like this whole story of like she was kidnapped and she was chained up and she couldn't even like leave. Whether that was true or not, I never seen any police reports. I was in sixth grade, so I obviously wasn't even going to like, I had no ability to confirm that. So it was just like that extensive. And I want to make a I want to make a PSA. PSA is that the proper term? Public service announcement. Public service announcement or announcement in general. The things I'm going to say about my childhood and about my life will seem made up because they're that crazy. Okay? So I, every every person I talk to about my life, they look at me and they're like this bitch is crazy. Like she's making up stuff. My own boyfriend told me that when we met in high school and I would tell him the things that was going on at my house, he thought I was making it up for attention. So I just want to put that out there. In every episode, if I tell you a story about my childhood, I promise I put it on my own life. I'm not making it up. It's true. <laughs> um, so I know it could some of these things. I wish I was making them up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my mom left for us for a year with a very toxic abusive aunt um if that doesn't say something I don't, I don't know what does <laughs> so yeah I watched her never want to be alone and that carried on to um me not wanting to be alone and I wasn't happy if I didn't have a partner and that's why I ended one relationship and jumped into the next one 
And I didn't look at the person that I was jumping into the next relationship with. I didn't care. I just wanted someone to be there. And that ended me up in a very toxic relationship with someone that I ended up having a child with, you know, and I never want to speak bad upon anybody because at the end of the day, that is the father of my child. But I will tell you, because of my low self-esteem and my examples of relationships, I never learned, like, respect yourself. Like, don't allow someone to treat you like S-H-I-T, you know, look at the red flags, da-da-da-da-da, et cetera you know, and because of the example I always saw. And I was afraid of being alone. I didn't know how to be alone. And that is very bad. And it's even worse to have a child with someone like that, you know, and I wouldn't take it back. I love, love, love being a mother. And I love my child so much. I just wish that it was with a healthier person and a kinder person and a more caring person. So, yeah, pretty deep. Let's get into your parents' relationships and what you took from those. My dad never really dated anyone. He had, like, one serious girlfriend. We ended up pushing her away because she had four kids and he didn't want to treat them the same way that he treated us or give them the same that he treated, that he gave me and my sister because he gave us a lot. He wanted to continue to do that. And but I loved that girlfriend. That girlfriend was so nice to us. And then my mom, on the other hand, has been married a few times. And the first one, I think, was like the most toxic relationship in my eyes. Because, and I think in both marriages, she kind of overlooked red flags. Obviously, she didn't do it in any like bad way. She did it with the hopes like, oh, well, it's maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's, you know, like I can overlook this. It's not a big deal, you know, and mostly with the way that she had met them is the biggest red flag. But, and I can relate because I've done, I've met people and I've dated people in that same way. You know, I've met people in places that are not meant to be, are not meant to to be meeting for people that you're on a date. Yeah, she overlooked red flags. And I think that was like the biggest downfall of like overlooking them and then like giving them the benefit of the doubt. And that's kind of what I do now. Like whenever I do have, when I do talk to people, my mom always says I have to have a minimum of three red flags <laughs> because I, I have those red flags and I just like, like right over my head and and I just kind of like assume like okay it's not that bad it's not that bad it's not a big deal and I kind of feel like I kind of maybe picked that up from her like a habit I picked up from her just overlooking red flags that I shouldn't overlook because their their problems are going to be had later on whenever that honeymoon phase is over you're going to be like oh shit what did I just do um so I think that it's probably like what I learned from my mom's relationships. And also she just put so much into relationships, like financially wise. Um, her first her first husband, she gave so much to him and like literally picked him up from the ground and now he has like a whole business basically because of her, because she supported him and he built this business while he was with her and that and then he just like left her in the dust. So and it this happened twice. So it's so she just gives so much into relationships. I feel like I do the same thing when I really like so 
and I really like someone, I will do just about anything for that person when I really like them. And I really definitely believe in like supporting the people that you love and you care about. And that's something I picked up from her. It's just caring a lot and overlooking red flags. My poor mom. I love her. All right. So now that we've talked about how our mother, our parents' relationships have affected us, you want to talk about how our relationships may have affected our children? Yeah, definitely. So when it comes to my relationships, I like I said, I haven't really dated. I've been, I've been single for six years, and I know I've dated a few people, but like I don't count. I don't count it if, if I haven't dated them for over six months. But a few of these people have met my kids, and I regret it so much because I was so like, you know, head over heels with these people that were toxic, and I just again overlooked it. This last guy, um, he was honestly kind of great. He was a bad person in the background to me. But as far as it came to my kids, he was actually kind of great. He would like go to like their kid to my kids like little sports classes, like karate class or gymnastics class, and he was like eyes on them. Like he didn't, he wasn't giving me attention. He would like barely hold my hand in front of them. He would like hold my hand, like give me like a cheek peck on the cheek or something. He would like do homework with my son, like read, help him read and stuff because my son has so much trouble reading. He would do all this, like, great stuff with him. Oh, my God. Like, literally, I was, like, falling for him specifically for this reason. And, again, ignoring other red flags. Um, But he was honestly a great guy uh, with my kids. And then I had that guy that I had wanted to off myself over. He would, like, whenever I'd get irritated with my kids because I was in a bad mood because I was undiagnosed bipolar, um, he would like feed into it. He'd feed into like me being annoyed with him, and it would only make it worse. Then, like, I felt validated in me being annoyed with him, you know. And so that wasn't ever like good for my kids because, like, it literally breaks my heart. And I like, think about the people that I let about my kids, and I'm like, why would I like? Why would I do this? And there's been like I think two other people that were like that that validated. I had a best friend that would also validate my annoyance with my son but she was also undiagnosed something um she refuses to take medication or anything other than like smoke marijuana which is fine but like she won't acknowledge that part of herself like it's one thing to like you actively choose to not be medicated because you don't want to be then denying that whole part of you and then refusing medication you know like Take accountability. Yeah. So, and then I had another boyfriend that also did the same thing, would validate my annoyance with the kids and also kind of like even snap at them. He never put his hands on them, but he would like, he wanted the attention from me. So he would kind of like almost block the kids. And I'd always tell him like, hey, can you not come so early so that I can like at least put the kids to bed? And that way when we're together, I can pay, give you attention and you're not taking time away from my kids. He never listened. Drove me crazy. Yeah. That's how my shitty relationships have affected my kids. I, and I'm trying to be better about letting people around my kids. It's like a minimum of a six month period before that you meet my kids. And that way I'm not like just bringing in a horde of guys that could potentially hurt my kids 
and or like just straight up not like my kids I want to make sure that they're good at least so yeah how about you yeah I, I think that um there should definitely be like a time period just to just to piggyback on what you said I think especially when you struggle with mental health um you're not going to always pick up on things that you should pick up on, especially when you're not getting the help you need. So diagnose, undiagnose, if you have children and you're dating, stop letting every person you're infatuated with meet them. Because guess what? Most of them aren't going to be around. Most of them are not going to, you know, be there in a few years. And you're not only putting them at risk to be harmed in one way or another, whether it's emotional or not, but you're confusing them and you're definitely like, like they're, they're, they're children. So they bond, you know, after a certain amount of time, they get used to someone being around. And then when you break up with them, they're like, what the heck? Why isn't this person in my life anymore? And it's kind of like, can, can almost, if it's if it's enough it can almost cause abandonment issues because they're not like it's not like a parent but like they built a relationship and a bond with this person and they're just gone no explanation no like continued visits because obviously when you break up with somebody you just want to be done with them you know so yeah definitely don't do that I know it's easier said than done and I'm not judging anyone who does because sometimes you're just not aware and you can't really in the moment you're not really like you know, you think like, well, it's going great with this person. I think it's a good time for them to meet, you know, um, but do your best to protect your kids, even from somebody you're dating, because just because it's having, you're having a good time doesn't mean it's okay for your kids to meet them. They need to be at a very, you need to set people at a very, very high standard before they meet your kids. Your kids are gold. Treat them like royalty. Not everybody gets to meet the king and the queen, Okay. So as far as, you know, effects of my relationships with my son, me and his father were not together when he was born. We broke up around like, I think I was like around six months pregnant. So to be honest with you, I don't think that really had any effect on him. I mean, how could it? Because he wasn't born. But the dynamic between the two of us definitely did. Um, it, it definitely does take a toll on him. You know, we we always did our best to not like have arguments in front of him and things like that. But he, I feel like he could always sense the energy between the exchanges and stuff like that. And there's always little comments and stuff that he would make. Um, and as far as this relationship that I'm in, I'm in now, um, it is with someone I knew from 15. You know, I met him when I was 15. I was in high school, so I met him for a long time. We were married and we separated. So he met Aiden when Aiden was one and I, because I was so close with him and I didn't have intentions of being in a relationship with him again, it was almost like reconnecting with a friend and having kind of like a play date. Like his son is 10 months older than Aiden. So when we first reconnected after a few years of not seeing each other, it wasn't like on a level of like, Oh, this is going to be stepdaddy. You know, it was just like kind of, like spending time together and we would do play dates and stuff like that um and he was like one years old and I felt so comfortable introducing him to him because I knew he was a very kind person and I just knew him I know him on a deeper level than I would anyone else and 
you know, our relationship is not perfect. You know, we've had arguments and sometimes when you get heated, you kind of forget who's to this side and who's to this side, you know, and I feel like it took us a while to really realize and to learn, like, because it was the first relationship I'd had after having a child, you know, so I had to learn to be more aware. And we, I think we both did. Um, so in the beginning, it was like, you know, you you have a little bit of a dispute or a little bit of an argument and you get this like, I feel like he had a little bit of anxiety almost. It was never aggressive or anything like that, but just even raising the volume of your voice in front of children, it it can be like a little startling. And it was really more on my part, to be honest with you, than it was on his. So I feel like he, he has a little bit of anxiety. Maybe it is from that, seeing me kind of like snap on my, you know, my boyfriend sometimes, like irritated really quickly. Like, I feel like in that aspect, it's the relationship, but then it's really more so me. It's kind of hard to determine, but I feel like if I wasn't in a relationship, he wouldn't see that side of me. Do you know what I mean? Like that side only comes out, I feel like, by a romantic partner, like certain arguments, you know, like I'm not very easily triggered by anybody. You know, it's either my romantic partner or like my very close family. Anyone else is not going to get a reaction out of me. I've kind of learned like, I'm not gonna waste my time with you if you're not <laughs> if you're not my family and you're not my boyfriend I'm not gonna waste my time and get irritated so I say that so that's kind of why I say that part kind of makes him a little bit anxious and builds up the anxiety because he would see me get irritated quickly and kind of start an argument over this over that um and we're working on it we've gotten a lot better I should say I've gotten a lot better um I make it a point to like if I start feeling irritated or he, I, I can sense he's about to say something, I, I tell him in Spanish, cut it, cut it, because I can't understand Spanish. I'd be like, dime, dime later. No hablas así en frente de él. Tell him, don't, tell, don't say that in front of him. You know, there's little stuff like that. Like we, you know, we we try. We try our best to work on it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I'm thankful and I'm very lucky that I haven't, you know, been through this whole dating thing because I know for a hundred percent I would probably be in the same boat as you because we are so similar in our attachment styles. I feel like I was like actively dating different people and things like that. You know, it would probably have negative effects on my son. You know, the way I'm sure it has on yours. Not not because I would introduce them because that was always my thing because of my trauma and and you know what I went through. You know, in my childhood, I've always been very, very paranoid about who I let around my son. Like, even with family members, like, he has not, I can count on maybe one hand how many people he's been left alone with. And that includes with family. So, very, very, like, I I, I don't play about who's around my child. Like... So it would never be that, but I feel like the things that that would trigger me in that relationship would then make me irritable and that would, you know, that would carry on to my, you know, my child. And so, yeah, I think that when I'm in a very unhealthy situation, it does affect him. If I'm irritated, that affects him. If I'm moody, that irritates him. And most of my irritation 
and moodiness comes from relationship problems because sometimes when you do deal with mental illness, you can interpret things differently than what they actually are. And I tend to do that a lot. So I think that children of women who are struggling with mental illness, they are more susceptible to being affected by that just because those mothers don't always interpret things the right way and they're easily triggered and they're easily irritated and so on and so forth. So yeah, that that's kind of how I, I feel like, I feel like for the most part, he's, he hasn't been too, too damaged or hurt by my specific relationship in the current since he was one so he's five now so four years relationship I think you're doing good I think you're doing good I think my biggest worry is like besides like guys coming you know the, the kid's life is like their dad is already very inconsistent you know and so I feel like whenever like another guy leaves it's like uh, another one and someone else left me you know I think they take it very personal as my son like that really good guy that I was telling you about um, I said cried about him and he was only around for a month. He was like really upset about him and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like I you know. Um but I think I worry about like the inconsistency of their dad and their dad not being around and also on top of that, their like any boyfriend I have doing the same thing, coming in and out or like just leaving, period, because they have no like legal ties to my kids. That makes sense. So, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, at least you're aware of that now. And maybe the next one that they meet will be the husband, maybe not the next wife. <laughs> Hopefully, we can only help. Well, let's just see. I don't want to like get all hyped up and stuff about anything. Yeah. I mean, and even then, like, I told y'all about him in the last episode, and I really like him. And I'm over here, like, Flying my heart is like, and he's like making plans, like, well, we should take the kids to Glen Rose, or we should take the kids to like, we should go take the kids to go see the Christmas lights and stuff like that. And I'm like, that sounds like so much fun, but like, it's only been by that point, it'll only be like two or three months of us dating, you know? So that's still too soon. And I'm just like, but he's trying, I really like that he's trying so hard, but also that's. Is it real? Yeah, I mean, the fact that he's trying to involve your children, A+, plus, good job, guy. At the same time, Mama Bear, you have to protect those kids. And I think only time will tell if that is real. And you need to give it that time. You cannot, I mean, we love the enthusiasm. We love it. But you two need to create a relationship and you two need to actually truly get to know each other before you can bring him in and introduce him. You know, and that's nothing against him. That's not saying you don't trust him. That's not saying anything towards him because, you know, I feel like some men can be very egotistical and they can take things to like to the heart and it's like something to do with them. It's not that at all. But as you said with your experience, your children have been hurt by the inconsistent relationships so I think that you need to just do your best going forward protect them from that and you need to develop that relationship and get to know these people 
You know, you, you can't get to know somebody in a few months. You may think you know them. You don't know them. <laughs> Let me tell you, definitely give it time. We love the enthusiasm, though. We do love that. That's because some men would be like, oh, you got kids? I'm out, you know? So it's good. So then we can finish off with what do you think your ideal relationship should look like or would look like? Or do you think you're in your ideal relationship? You want to go first? I don't even know what an ideal relationship would look like. It's like, because I don't know what I want at the time. I'm avoiding, very much in this... avoiding, avoiding. Yeah, I'm very, see, there you go. I'm avoiding. I'm like, I don't know where I'm at right now. I don't know. Dig like, deep. Like this guy. Dig deep in the loving version of yourself. The version that thinks that you're worthy of greatness and great. Even when I mentioned marriage, you're like, oh, I don't want to push it. Girl, I was not talking about that guy. See, you're already avoiding marriage with this current guy. I wasn't even talking about uh, him. I was just I'm saying. avoiding marriage, period. Period. Don't get married. It's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah, so I think, okay, in an ideal relationship, I would be able to, like, talk openly about my feelings and then accept it. You know, like, the spirit of help me, like, understand myself a little bit more, you know, and understand us together. You know, I would love to be able to, like, do family stuff and you know my kids to love them obviously and for me to love them and you know live happily ever after you know have family nights and game nights and you know all that fun family stuff that I of a together-ish family that I didn't have as a child you know of like my parents being split up and I would love for my my children to have a more real family for themselves of like this is a even if it's a stepdad, I would love them to have that like family like feel because right now it's really just me, them, and my mom and my dad. And while that is a family, they don't have that like dad father figure around. And I feel like they would really benefit from that if I ever found the right guy. So then I'm thinking about them in the long term, you know, me in the short term, but them in the long term. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, I mean, I want to, that's amazing that you are thinking about your kids because that's the same thing I would do. It's like, what's going to be best for my son? Even though we're talking about a relationship for us. I want you to tell me what's an ideal relationship for you. What would be good for you? Like, what do you want and need? Not for your kids, but what do you want for yourself? Honesty, like loyalty, honesty. Like, I think, like, the bare minimum, I would love, like, this guy to, like, like, this guy. He literally thinks about me and everything that he does. Like, I took a nap the other day, and I didn't answer him immediately. And he was, like, he knew I was having a really bad day that day. And so he, like, brought me snacks. He brought me some coffee in my favorite flavor, vanilla. He knows I love vanilla. He knows I like hot chips, so he brought me hot Cheetos. And then he brought me M&M's, which is, like, yum, you know? So, and then he, like, sat there and watched American Horror Story with me, even though he has, like, night terrors. So, <laughs> this poor guy, like, he's just so good and so sweet. And honestly, everything I didn't know I wanted, he's doing, you know? So, it's just, and he has that, like, very reassuring, like, very reassuring for me. And he doesn't, I don't even ask for it. He just does it, you know? And I, like, I would love someone, if not him, hopefully him if not him, for someone to just, like, show me the care without me having to ask 
for them to show me that they care. And he's doing that. So I really appreciate it. Like a lot. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to hear what you would want for yourself. Obviously, your kids come first, but you also matter. What you need matter as well. Um, my ideal relationship it would it would look like what I have now. I feel like, and I think that you can never have a perfect relationship, no matter what. I feel like there are always things in every relationship that you'd be like, mm, I wish it was like this, or I wish it was like this, and I wish it was like this. What I care about most is respect, loyalty, honesty, and number one above all of that is loving my child, respecting my child, and also putting my child first. I want, I put my child first. So I expect the person I'm with to put my child first. You know what I mean? And that might sound out of this world because they're obviously not going to be the biological father of my child. But at the end of the day, if you're with me, he is like this. He's connected to me. He is me. That is me. So if you love me, you love him. And I truly feel like I have that. Um, And that is why it's it's like you love somebody and you care for somebody and you're like attracted to somebody. But like when you see them truly love your child, even though they have no no real like responsibility to that child, it's like another level, another like, like respect. It's like another level of respect, another level of like love, like, like, wow, like, you must love me so much. <laughs> like it's like, it's so indescribable. And like, if it would ever not work out with me and, and my current boyfriend, like, I don't think he would ever like not be in Aiden's life. And I don't ever foresee that happening. Like, I feel like we'd probably be together forever. And if we weren't, it'd be my fault because toxic sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, respect me understand me because I'm a very complex person and I'm very complicated and I'm very like and I know that's who I've accepted that's who I am and it's not always the easiest to deal with so whoever can deal with me respect to you that's a whole no- that's a whole nother thing you can deal with me you are a strong person God bless you y'all damn God bless you you are a very secure person Thank you guys for listening to this whole podcast and this whole episode. And we're so excited for you guys to keep listening to the next episode. We have a very, very, very important topic coming up in the next episode. And we really need you guys to listen. Um, It's very important. Before we end this episode, go vote. Vote, 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 vote. I know that everyone thinks that our votes don't count, but I feel like if everyone thought, if all the people that thought our votes don't count actually voted, it would be enough people for it to count. So, yes, go vote. You're like a little lazy and a little irresponsible because the fact is, like like she said, our vote together matters. Our one vote don't matter. Together we matter. And just because it's not an election for our president doesn't mean it's not important because guess what? Our president doesn't make all the decisions. Our senators, our governors, and everyone underneath them, they make these decisions as well. So this is what we're voting for in this election. 
And there's something really big on the ballot coming up. And our next episode is going to be about that. And I'm sorry to cut you off. Finish our outro. Yeah, so listen to the next episode. We're so happy that you got to listen to us. Be sure to check out the books attached. Welcome home. It was psychcentral.com. Listen, I only wrote, I only read one article, so I don't really know anything like a lot about the website, but it seemed very informational. So check it out if you want to learn more about attachment styles. And also look up that doctor from your book. What was the doctor's name? Daniel J. Fox. Yes. So we're going to check out Attached, Welcome Home, and Daniel J. Fox. Um, and we will link their information in the description of this episode. And again, we are so excited and Thank you guys for listening.